I'll ask you and invite you to kneel with me. Let's have a, a word of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you again on bended knee and we we praise you, Lord, for your love towards us and mercy and, and the loving kindness that you show to us each and every day. Uh, that things happen each day that are out of our control or out of our knowledge. But you are there to watch over us and care for us. And for this, we are so grateful. Father, we thank you so much uh, for providing for our needs. You have provided homes and food and clothing and have asked so little in return. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you will still continue to keep your promises uh, towards us, not because we're worthy, uh, but because Jesus is. And we're striving, Lord. We're striving with self. We're striving against the enemy. And we pray for grace to continue and not be discouraged, uh, Lord, not to take our eyes off of the goal that's before us, but to continue to strive to reach the mark the high calling that you, you've asked us, asked of us. Father, you've heard the request this morning. Jared has a silent prayer request. And, and Christine has asked that we pray for her children, Chauncey and Aaron and Candace. And Lord, you know uh, my situation. I pray humbly, Lord, in the name of Jesus, for the funds to, to pay these bills as quickly as possible. So all glory can be yours. Father, I also ask that you be with those who are suffering today. I think of those in our church at Battle Creek. I think of our dear friends in Holland, uh, Michigan. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you be very near to each of them and heal them. Teach us, Lord, what your will is. Correct us if we need to be corrected so that we can uh, be healthy and strong to finish the work you've asked. I pray, Lord, especially that you be with those who are suffering with guilt and that you will give me the words to speak to touch their heart and that they will open their heart to you to remove this guilt, that they will no longer choose to sin. Time is short, Lord, and I wish that all that I know, these loved ones of mine and my neighbors and friends, to be on that sea of glass. So please, Lord, touch my lips with a coal from the altar that it may reach hearts today. I humbly ask these favors in the blessed name of Jesus, who is so worthy. And I thank you for answering our prayers as we ask in his name. Amen. If you take your Bibles, and you do have your Bibles, and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, this is a very familiar scripture to uh, students of prophecy, uh, a very familiar scripture to those students of prophecy in dealing with the Antichrist, but there was something in here I wish to touch upon. Uh, in our study this morning. I've, I have titled this study, Return to Him. Now, Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, in speaking of the Antichrist, 
He said, let no man deceive you by any means. This was a warning, wasn't it? He's warning us not to be deceived by men. This is an encouragement for us to continue to look to God and not man. It's a warning and an encouragement. Let no man deceive you by any means. And then he says, For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, there was the thought at that time that Jesus was returning very quickly. And so, sad to say, uh, not as quickly as they wanted. And because there seemed to be a delay here, uh, the love and duty waned just a bit. Because after all, you know, in their minds, Jesus was coming back at any moment. But what Paul was doing here, he was correcting this error of belief that they had, this error in judgment, by warning that there would be a falling away, an apostasy in the church before the man of sin would be revealed. And then Jesus would return. My great concern, and I I spoke of it as we closed up Sabbath school this morning, just a little bit. My great concern in our time, beloved, is for those who are fulfilling these words right now in many ways and falling away from what they know to be the truth and their duty to God and their duty to to each other, to man. My concern is for those who are being beaten down by Satan's lies and, and deceptions to choose error over truth. My concern is for those who are so eat up with guilt that they believe that there's no hope for forgiveness. But I want to make a call for you to return to Him You see, for only Christ can keep you from falling. You know, I was thinking about this, and this has been going on for for some time, and how do you approach those who, who know the truth but have chosen for one reason or another to ignore it or be indifferent or to, to, uh, get in closer to the world or allow the world to come in? How do you approach someone uh, like that. Jesus has given us examples. Uh, we're to continue to love each other as Jesus loves us. But we're also in some way to nurture and to bring it to their minds. There are people that I know, people who have been in the Word for uh, quite some time that know better, but yet I ponder how they can choose or be so indifferent at a time such as this. We are so close to the end. As the Thessalonians believed Jesus was coming very soon, and Paul was wondering there would come a falling, uh, uh, falling away first. Not everything had been revealed yet, but friends, we're past that time. We're in a time that the man of perdition has been revealed, this man of sin, the son of perdition. We know We've been shown. And the devil's right there to say, you know, the Lord delayeth His coming. Oh, the Lord's not coming back. Oh, you misunderstand. Oh, why are you waiting? This is all... See, He promised to return, but He hasn't. All these different lies to trap us. And you know, it only takes one. 
It only takes one. But you know, the thing with sin is, usually it does not stop with just one. That's just the beginning. Because what the devil will do then, he will beat you down. He will beat you down. He takes this huge club and on it is written guilt and he pounds you and pounds you and pounds you with it. He'll pound you into submission to him continually. My great concern, as I said, is for those who are so hip with guilt that they believe there's no hope for forgiveness. That's the only thing that can be reconciled in my mind as to why someone who would be walking with the Lord professing to be a follower of Jesus, but yet secretly, or they think secretly, choosing to do their own thing. Allowing the world to come in, not ridding it from their home, not getting rid of the TV, not getting rid of those things on the internet, the movies, the whatever it may be that is holding them to this world when there is a better place just on the horizon. Paul said, we wait for that city, that home. And as I was thinking about this, I remembered Jesus in Revelation chapter 2. Specifically, He's talking to the church at Ephesus. Uh, and He says to them, They've done many wonderful things. They've stood strong for the truth. And yet he has a controversy with them. He tells them, he says, you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. And I see parallels here. I see a parallel. This love that they had lost included wholehearted love for God and His truth and love for one another as brethren and for their fellow men in general as far as that goes. As I was looking at their condition there, I mean, perhaps the the doctrinal controversy stirred up by the false teachers at that time had given rise to a factious spirit, and in spite of of their diligent efforts to stand against this tide of false teaching, a number who remained in the church were no doubt affected in greater or less degree by it, because as Jesus said, they had lost their first love. I mean, to the extent that error had found a lodging place in their hearts. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit is thwarted in His efforts to transform the character. And this is what I see. Have you ever read the statement that Adventists who have been given this great light should be the head and not the tail? And in so many areas, what about the tail? Why is that? Because we have allowed just that little sliver of worldliness to continue to dwell in our hearts and our minds. We haven't given we, 100% to the Lord. We've given 99% and we've allowed the devil to convince us that that's good enough. History is being repeated all over the world and right here in our churches. God's people are so scattered right now that it has become easy, sad to say, for the enemy to sow seeds of error and discouragement and, and many leave spiritually from our congregations, if not physically. 
Many are losing their first love just as Jesus said. Now what is the remedy for such a condition? I want to encourage you, friends, if you find yourself in this position, that all is not lost. Jesus still fights for you. People have a a misunderstanding about the judgment. They believe that God is stern and He's wanting to rule people out of the kingdom. And what the truth is, is that He's trying and fighting to find you not guilty. We do have a remedy for such a condition of guilt and falling away. Jesus tells us in the same chapter, Revelation 2, in verse 5, He says, Remember. Isn't that interesting that the fourth commandment begins with the same word? Remember. Jesus says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. This is the remedy. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. If we don't do this, you know what happens? The candlestick is removed. The Holy Spirit is grieved away. I hope, beloved, that those who hear my voice and they know who they are that are in this condition, that the Holy Spirit is pricking their hearts right now. And if He's pricking your heart right now, there is hope for you. There is hope. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. We must look up again to Jesus. Beloved, we must believe that He loves us. We must believe that He keeps His promises, one of which is that He will forgive us. We must remember from whence we are fallen and return to Him. You know, Luke chapter 15 tells the story about two sons and their attitudes and their character. And too often we resemble them both at given times. Way too often. We know this story is the story of the prodigal son. The son takes his inheritance and he he leaves his father to live his own life and he eventually finds himself partnering with the world and living in sin. You see, he was raised knowing the truth about God. He was raised with with the love and mercy of God. When you read this story, do you ever get the, the impression that this prodigal son's father does not love his son? Do you ever get the impression that this father does not love his son deeply and compassionately? No. That he is a stern taskmaster? No. And friends, this young man takes his inheritance and what does he do? He goes into the world. He begins to partner with the world. Instead of fellowshipping with believers, he fellowships with who? Those of the world. Unbelievers. 
Is it 367? Oh, that's not that bad. You could take the mask off that that friend and you see the devil's face there. And they don't even know it. Now, friends, we're to be in the world and not of the world. If our relationship with those of the world is such that is let me put it this way it's other than that of evangelizing you better step back and take a look at why why you are with that person and don't lie to yourself if you're with that worldly person if you're having fun with that worldly person on a regular basis because it's fun you're on a treacherous slope down. As Paul said, a falling away. This prodigal son, he went out. Did he go to the synagogue every Sabbath? Did he go out with those who are like believers and build him a home and have God bring him a wife? What did he do? He went into the world. Did he go into the world to evangelize those who were lost? No, he went into the world seeking fun. He went into the world seeking something to calm the guilt in his heart. You won't find that calming in the world. What happens to this young man when his money runs out? So do his accomplices. And he's hooked. The devil has laid his trap and sprung it. And there he is. And for a time he's trapped. Something is using that club of guilt to beat him down and keep him down and beat him down. And, and we beat ourselves up all too often as well. In Luke 15 verse 17... We can learn some things here as we begin to read. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation 2 verse 5. He said, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. And here, look at Luke 15. Beginning with verse 17. It says about this young man. It says, And when he came to himself, That's an interesting statement. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. There was a change that's happened to this young, young man. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And it didn't end there. These weren't just thoughts he had. He acted upon these thoughts. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was not going away off, his father saw him. Now, 
Why was it that the father saw him? Because his father was looking for him. Friends, Jesus is looking for you. He is seeking that lost sheep, that lost coin. It was Jesus who came to Adam in the cool of the day, calling Adam and Martha. His father saw him and had compassion. And did the father wait for him to come? To him? So it says he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Is that does that sound like someone who is a tyrant who's waiting to punish? Friends, that sounds like deep, deep love to me. Verse 21, And the Son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy Son. He was speaking from his heart, wasn't he? But the Father said to his servants, Take him out to the woodshed so I can whip him. That's not what he said. The best one I have. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. Showing that he's royalty. He's a member of the family. And shoes on his feet. And bring me hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says there, and they began to be merry. It wasn't just the father who was merry because his son had returned. But his son was Mary with his father. Because of why? Why? Did he believe his father? Did he believe that his father, his father's forgiveness was real? Was he sure of that? Absolutely. I want you to notice what the son did after he had sinned, after he had come to this conclusion. There were three things that we can learn from this. First, remember it said he came to himself. Reason assumed the thought of his heart and mind and he began to consider what he'd been doing. And he confessed and repented of it in his heart. He came to himself. Beloved, Jesus is asking us to come to ourself, to come to our senses here, our reasoning, to remember from this our fallen and repent. The second thing, it didn't just end there with that. He rose. Remember? He stood up, he rose, he acted without delay to confess and repent of his sins. 
Friends, don't. Don't wait when you're convicted to repent. Don't put it off. The third thing, He returned to His Father and not only received forgiveness, but also an inheritance again. He was willing to be made a servant. And the Father said, no. You're a part of the family. Something else you'll notice when you study that parable that there, after the son returns home, as I alluded to a second ago, there was no taunting. There was no listening to, to the son of his evil course after he had returned. Remember the son and the father, they began to be merry. You see, the son believed and felt that the past is forgiven and forgotten and blotted out forever. And so God says to the sinner, He says to us, those who are beat down with guilt, those who know the right way but, but think that God would never forgive them, God says in Isaiah 44.22, He says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. If you return to Him. If you come to yourself, friends, if you arise and you return to Him. In Jeremiah 31 verse 34, it says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Our scripture reading for today, Isaiah 55 and verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. He will, friends. Return to our God and he will abundantly pardon Do you believe it? The prodigal believed his father. You know why the prodigal believed his father? You see, his father never changed. The son had spurned the father. He had been wooed away to the world. But he knew that his father never changed. His father had principles. His father was a man of integrity. His father was full of love and compassion. His father meant what he said and said what he meant. His father walked the walk. You can trust Jesus. From the book The Desire of Ages, page 280, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou will not despise. That's Psalms 51.17 that's quoted. And then she says, Man must be emptied of self before he can be, in the fullest sense, a believer in Jesus. So you see, friends, 99% is not enough. You have to be completely emptied of self. You have to be at a point where you say, Lord, your will, not mine. 
I'm not saying that you have to clean yourself up before you come to the Lord. What I'm saying is, come to the Lord 100%. When self is renounced, she says, then the Lord can make man a new creature. New bottles can contain the new wine. The love of Christ will animate the people with new life. In Him, who wants unto the author and finisher of our faith, the character of Christ will be manifest. Jesus said, Out of the heart come the issues of life. You can profess whatever you can from that door. Remember the story that Joshua read to us today? You can tell what you want out of that door. That's your choice. You can profess what you want out of that door. But behavior tells the true story, doesn't it? Beloved, are you a prodigal? Have you lost your first love? Have you come to yourself? Have you considered what you're doing? Will you return to your first love? Will you return to Him? You can trust Jesus to forgive you, for He keeps His promises. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, We're told the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is not suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. You hear that? That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Matthew 3 and verse 2, we read, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you think the kingdom of heaven is at hand today? Do you recognize the signs all around us that Jesus is soon to come? Beloved, I implore you, come to Jesus. Return to Him. Finish the race that's been started. By grace, you can do it. Jesus will forgive you. From a book entitled Courage and Conflict, page 145, notice these words. There is need today of such a revival of true heart religion as was experienced by ancient Israel. Repentance is the first step that must be taken by all who would return to God. No one can do this work for another. We must individually humble our souls before God and put away our idols. Among friends, we may not have uh, a little statue of some false god in our home, but we have idols. Don't think that you don't. Please, don't think that you don't. You know, technology is a wonderful thing if used for the right purposes. I see things on Facebook by Christians that stun me. I see things on Facebook by Adventists that stun me and they actually 
Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't describe it. Well, they, they cause my heart to grieve, but I'm appalled. Yeah, I'm offended, but I, I'm just appalled by it. I, I just, I, I get to a loss of words. How often am I at a loss for words? From people who know better. Like I said, out of the heart come, comes the truth. She says we must individually humble our souls before God and put away our idols. It can become an idol. Facebook can become an idol. Television, entertainment, so-called. Our homes. Our jobs. We can make an idol out of anything. We place that above God. We may get up in the morning and we may spend five or ten minutes in prayer to God. We may read a couple of scriptures about our day and never think of God again and think that we've done our duty. Friends, I can't save you. You can't save me. It's an individual work, as she says. She finishes by saying, We have done all that we can do. Sometimes I don't think we realize that. Are we doing all that we can do? The Lord will manifest to us His salvation. Friends, this is a very important principle here. She says, Repentance is the first step that must be taken by all who would return to God. No one can do this work for another. We must individually humble our souls before God and put away our idols. When we have done all that we can do, the Lord will manifest to us His salvation. Like I said, 100%. By the way, what does repentance mean? It it's not. It, it literally means to feel a godly sorrow for the wrongs that have been committed. A person first has to know them that they have sinned in order to come to repentance. Isn't that true? And that's what the love of God brings into view. From the book, The Faith I Live, by page 326. It is only as the love of God is restored to its rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness among His professed people. You know, as Adventists, we talk a lot about the Sabbath, but what about the Zion? Because you can only keep the Sabbath if you're keeping the other nine. And you can only keep any law of God if Jesus is living in your heart. Don't... Don't fool yourself. You think just because you come to church or don't come to church and listen over the internet or pay your tithe that you're keeping it. You're following God. She quotes Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the waters and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. We need to restore the law of God. It's the character of God. It needs to be restored in our hearts and in our minds. 
Friends, when is the last time you have seriously compared the Ten Commandments to your lifestyle? Like I said, many, especially Seventh-day Adventists, many concentrate on the Fourth Commandment to the exclusivity of the other nine. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Let's take a look at the law of God for you know it is a mirror that reflects the character of Christ. And if we want to return to him, we must know his character. We must understand it. Exodus twenty. I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Remember we talked about idols just a minute ago. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. That means worship them. Lift them up above him, which breaks the first commandment. Nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And shall be mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and what? Keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How dare we walk around calling ourselves Christians when we secretly are sinning or being in the world or doing other things? Claim to be a Christian. That's what I said. Walking around saying that we're Christians. How dare we? Think God has has to accept us and what we do? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Friends, there's some serious heart searching that needs to go on with all of us in the time we're living in. Especially in the time we're living in. Remember, there's that word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You don't just come to church and then go about your the rest of the day as if it's any common ordinary day. We're to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, friends. You think it's serious? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. This is our relationship with God that's being spoken of here. Verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother. My friends, you're to honor your father and mother. They may be the worst people in the world, but you're to honor them. that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. There's one that's very prevalent today. 
Remember, sin begins in the mind. Jesus said, if you look upon someone and lust after them, you've committed adultery in your heart. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Boy, I see that quite a lot. Oh, little white lies. If you don't think you tell little white lies, pay attention to that door of the mouth from time to time every day. What you type into your chats on the internet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Friends, when you study the Ten Commandments, when you read these commandments of God and compare them to your life, what picture do you see? There's a statement in Desire of Ages that I love. It's on page 827. It says, Christ is sitting for His portrait in every disciple. He's sitting for His portrait. You know, at the time that she pinned that, you had to sit still for, for quite a length of time to have your picture taken. You had to stay in the same position. You couldn't move. It's not like today. They have digital cameras where you just, boom, it's already done. Not much patience needed in any of that. She says, Christ is sitting for His portrait in every disciple. I've got to ask, do you see Jesus sitting for His portrait in your life? Do you want Him to? Do you want His character, your character, to be like His? Then return to Him. I asked my little brother one time, do you have to get all clean, do you get all cleaned up before you take a bath? And he said, well, of course not. I said, all Jesus is asking of you is to come to Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come unto Me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You will not have rest without me. But you've got to come to me if you want rest. Jesus just says to come, just as you are, and He will receive you. He will forgive, forget, and restore unto you His character traits. And you will find rest as your guilt is removed, friends. And you'll have a new life. So we see this mirror of the law we contemplate our standing with God. And now it's been brought to our attention. We're responsible. First John three four says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Carnal nature has a bad habit of trying to convince itself that it isn't guilty of breaking any commandments. And the reasons that there were certain circumstances involved that were unexpected, and thus there's an excuse for our disobedience, and so God, God winks at our mistake. Well, friends, here's something that I have learned about the carnal nature, and you tell me if it isn't true. The ends always justify the means with the carnal heart. 
the current nature will only say that it was disobedient for all the right reasons and good intentions. Isn't that true? For the most part. The ends justify the means. I'll tell you about that whenever you see this ends justify the means mentality and attitude, you can rest assured that, that the carnal heart of that person is in control. Now, you may have been ignorant of the law of God in some respect and, and did not know that what you were doing was breaking in, so God may wink at your sin. But don't think that this is the norm. You know, in this country, the United States, we're privileged to, to have the freedoms that we have. I saw a poll that said over 80% of people in the United States claim to be Christians. Now think about that for a moment. Over 80%, if it's accurate, over 80% of people in this country have a, have a Bible probably in their home, and if not one, probably half a dozen. They look so nice on the coffee table, you know, and in the bookshelf. Over 80%. And the other 20% have access. So you see, there's no no excuses, really, that, that we can say. So it's not really the norm here. Sin is the transgression of God's law. When you compare your life to that law, what do you see? The ninth commandment says we're not to bear false witness against our neighbor. We're not to bear false witness against ourselves as well. We have to be honest with ourselves, friends, and see ourselves for who we really are. From the book Steps to Christ, a very good book, page 35, we read, Deal truly with your own soul. Be as earnest, as persistent as you would be if your moral life were at stake. This is a matter to be settled between God and your own soul, settled for eternity. And supposed hope, and nothing more will prove your ruin. And of course, James says you break one, you break them all. I know, I know, we've heard all this before. Isn't that right? Pastor Joel, we've heard this before. You're preaching to the choir. But there's a reason that we're still here on the earth, friends. And the reason is us. And the sooner we come to ourselves, as the prodigal did, the sooner we can get right with God and each other, the sooner we can finish the work so this great controversy can end and sin be destroyed. So we read the law of God. We see that that mirror that points out the defects. We find that we're lawbreakers. And what is the result of this? Paul describes it very succinctly in these words. The wages of sin is death. And that's eternal death, friends. That's not a sleep in the grave. That's eternal death. Romans 6.23 And we must pay the price for our lawlessness. And it is a death decree. We owe our very lives for our sin debt and have no way to pay without forfeiting our future existence 
But a friend, oh, such a friend, in the person of Jesus says, you know, I'll assume your debt. I'll suffer death in your place. And pay it all to the credit of your personal account. And that, that offer constitutes the basis of our receiving forgiveness for our sins, beloved. We're familiar with John 3, 16 and 17, aren't we? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, that means commit to Him, 100% to Him, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. Jesus has given us a way to have forgiveness for our sin. Jesus took our guilt upon Him and died in our place so that we may have forgiveness. He assumed the harm so we may not have to. Jesus has made a way to the Father and we must avail ourselves of the opportunity. Or friends, in our case, He will have died for nothing. Our sins are now exposed and such love bestowed on our behalf should bring us should bring us to an open shame. Do you feel shame? Are you sorrowful for disobeying the law of God? Do you want to be forgiven and stop sinning? Do you want that guilt removed? If yes, then you are experiencing repentance. A godly sorrow for what you've done. Notice this from the Signs of the Times, July 31st, 1901. As the artist transfers to the canvas the features of the face, so many features of each individual character are transferred to the books of heaven. God has a perfect photograph of every man's character, and this photograph he compares with his law. He reveals to man the defects that mar his life and calls upon him to repent and turn from sin. So, how are the guilt and condemnation and death sentence transferred from you and me and placed upon Jesus, who is our divine substitute? How does that happen? Well, there are three conditions, really, for taking the step of obtaining forgiveness. The first condition is repentance, we've talked about. A feeling of a godly sorrow for the wrongs we've committed. And this repentance originates with God, doesn't it? It doesn't come from inside ourselves. We read that in Acts 5.31. Him hath God exalted with His right hand, speaking of Jesus, to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You see, Christ is the source of every right impulse. He is the only one that can implant in the heart enmity against sin. Every desire for truth and purity, every conviction of our own sinfulness, is evidence. You see that the Holy Spirit is moving upon our hearts. And friends, if your heart is being convicted right now, it's being pricked. The Holy Spirit's doing His work. The second condition is confessing our sins. And we need to confess it with our own mouths. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, 
but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. John wrote in 1 John 1, 9, and we're familiar with this, aren't we? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some. So not only will Jesus forgive us from our sins, but also He will cleanse us from our habits of sin. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, we will cultivate righteous habits and gain victory over our carnal tendencies, friends. Isn't that what we want? The third condition to having our sins forgiven is restitution. We make every effort to correct the things we've done wrong. Ezekiel 33.15 says, If the wicked restored the pledge, given again that he had robbed, walk in the statutes of life, without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Of course now, it's not possible to reach into the past and rectify every wrong, every lie, and every dishonest act. In the first place, we can't even remember all the times we were guilty of those things. It would probably drive a person insane to feel the responsibility for such an impossible demand. Nevertheless, you know, the Holy Spirit prompts our consciences and, and reminds us of matters that we can make right. If something's been stolen, well, it needs to be restored. If lies have been told which damage someone's reputation, we can apologize and tell the truth in order to remove any stigma or, you know, or mark against that person's character. And sometimes prison might be a possible consequence if crimes of theft or robbery have been committed or murder. But it's very important to arrange repayment whenever the possibility exists. In cases where restitution is not possible, the repentant person can safely trust that the cleansing merits of Christ's blood brings pardon and restoration. And friends, let me tell you, we are in need as a people of true primitive godliness like the apostles had if we are to hasten the second coming. And these conditions of forgiveness are the first steps in achieving it. I wanted to look at a good example of what I'm talking about in Psalms 51. I'm going to let you read through that So I'm running and pressing time here. But Psalms chapter 51, you see David, David wrote this in anguish of remorse after his great sin with Bathsheba. It's an expression of his repentance when the message of reproof came to him from God. It is a prayer for forgiveness and for sanctification through the Holy Spirit. So, instead of the whole thing, I want to draw your attention to verse 10 because it really speaks to what we really need in order to have that first love again. And we're familiar with this, aren't we? Let's go back to verse 7, really. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear twinning gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Is that the cry from your heart, friends? 
If not, it should be. And then he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me, uphold me with thy free spirit. You see, friends, God does not merely just cleanse our heart. He creates in us a new heart. I think we could probably agree that we all need a new heart. In Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, it says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll make you a new person. But you have to return to me. From the Review and Herald, December 18, 1913, we read, The words, A new heart also will I give you, mean, A new life will I give you. A change of heart is always attended by a clear conviction of Christian duty and understanding of truth. He who gives the Scriptures close, prayerful attention will gain clear comprehension and sound judgment as if in turning to God he had reached a higher plane of intelligence. I like that. David's prayer is for a spirit that is steadfast in its faith and therefore constant in its obedience. You won't sin. You won't fall. David desires an entirely new mental and moral nature. And that's what we should desire. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 460. The heart must be renewed by divine grace or it will be in vain to seek for purity of life. He who attempts to build up a noble, virtuous character independent of the grace of Christ is building his house upon the shifting sand. You see, friends, we must be renewed, as she says, by divine grace or our character work is in vain. And ultimately we break all the commandments. Another thing I want to share from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 158, as I bring this to a close. I saw how this grace could be obtained. Go to your closet and there alone plead with God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Be in earnest. Be sincere. Fervent prayer availeth much. Jacob-like, wrestle in prayer. Agonize. When's the last time you've agonized in prayer? You don't agonize just for the sake of agonizing. It shows your heart condition. Jesus in the garden sweat great drops of blood. You must make an effort. Do not leave your closet until you feel strong in God. Then watch, and just as long as you watch and pray, you can keep these evil besetments under, and the grace of God can and will appear in you. Do you want a better life, beloved? One that is clean and pure and free of guilt? Jesus can give you this life. Just return to Him. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to close out by reading verses 3 to 7. Think of these words. 
For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving the diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Does that sound like the prodigal? But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. You see, a new heart, a new mind. A renewing of the Holy Ghost within us, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Let go of yourself, beloved, and let God wash you and renew a right spirit in you. And may we come to ourselves, arise, and return to Him before it's too late. Midnight is almost here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, You are our Father. We come before You seeking Your forgiveness. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that You will forgive us our sins as You've promised. We confess them to You now. Father, we've done many bad things. We've fallen away. We've been pricked in our heart for a long time. We've been dealing with guilt for a long time. We pray, Lord, that You will wipe away this guilt as You've promised and renew within us a right spirit, a clean heart, a new mind. That You will give us strength and grace to say no to the devil, to say no to our evil tendencies in our carnal heart, our carnal tendencies, that wooing that the devil brings. Surround us with angels that excel in strength to protect us, for we're fragile. Strengthen us through time in our walk, for Lord, we wish to be on that sea of glass. Let us put away the evil worldly associates that we have, and may we keep our eyes looking upward to you as we return to the house of God. We thank You so much, Lord, for hearing our prayer as we pray it in faith in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen.